Hello, you're listening to the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast from the Institute for Research on Poverty at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Dave Chancellor. This is our February 2017 podcast, and we're going to be talking with Julian Teitler of Columbia University about how resources matter for health across the lifespan. Teitler visited IRP in the fall of 2016 and gave a seminar talk about a study he did with Melissa Martinson, Raven Plaza, and Nancy Reichman called Income Disparities in Cardiovascular Health Across the Lifespan. He says that their work can give us some insights about not just if resources, particularly money, matter for health, but how and when they make a difference. We know a lot of things in, in terms of the extent to which resources, whether it's educational resources, whether it's income, whether it's social status, the extent to which those kinds of resources are associated with, um, with health at, um, at all ages, with um, mortality or life expectancy. We know that that is the case in human populations um, as well um, as in terms of at least status hierarchies in animal populations um, as well, um, particularly among primates. What we don't know is what is is how resources um, are creating disparities or differences in health. Um, We know some things about that, but but we know much less about um, about how resources translate into health and about the extent to which there are these differences. When it comes to money, Professor Teitler and his colleagues look at this question not just in terms of the extent to which it affects a person's health, but also the extent to which money affects how an illness or health condition impacts quality of life. There are sort of two separate questions because one's health could be affected without one's quality of life being that affected and um, one's health can be affected and that can have huge ramifications on on one's life. And the resources, the money, might prevent one from getting sick in the first place and then it might also help us adapt to illnesses or diseases given that we've become sick. And so this project is really um, looking at both of those stages. Um, how much does money matter for getting sick? And then how much does it matter for feeling the effects of that illness? Tytler says for this project, he and his colleagues really began to look systematically at disparities in health by age over the life course in the United States and when those disparities emerge. So the first step was to identify the best data sets that were available for that. And there are a lot of good um, data sets that have information about people's health. What we wanted for this particular project was um, to identify, to find data that were very good for objective indicators of health conditions rather than subjective um, reports of health, um, reports of diagnosed conditions or self-reports of how people felt um, overall health. Um, And there are fewer data sets that have good biomarker kinds of, or lab kinds of measures on health. The NHANES, which we use for this project, is one of those. Um, It has very good objective indicators of health. It has a very large sample um, size, so it allows us to look at um, relatively small segments of the population. We can look at Um, at populations of a certain age um, and of a certain um, level of of income level or poverty level. And um, it's pretty much the only data set that that has sufficient um, sample size and 
um, the data elements that we needed to look at the emergence of conditions. Using the NHANES, which stands for the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, they looked at disparities among three key dimensions. First, by disparities in the emergence of a health condition compared to quality of life after a condition emerged. By sex, they looked at disparities separately for men and women, and finally, by age. There are a number of findings that um, that come out of this, that have come out of this project so far. Um, One of them is that um, disparities in the emergence of conditions, this is income disparities in the emergence of health conditions, cardiovascular health conditions, are much, much smaller than we had anticipated. Um, They are small for women. They are very small to non-existent for men. There are substantial disparities, very large disparities in the subjective indicators of health or the self-reports of health or activity-limiting conditions or work-limiting conditions. So I'm not saying that disparities in health aren't there. I'm saying that they're much, much larger after a condition, after someone is becomes ill than they are before. The other very striking finding um, for us is that there is such a large um, sex effect or gender effect in, in the sense that the among men um, income really does not does not translate into any benefit in terms of the emergence of the condition among women um, for some of the cardiovascular conditions income really does produce large differences in emergence of a condition. Teitler says one of their striking findings was that there's such a large sex or gender effect. For men, income doesn't seem to translate into any benefits in terms of the emergence of a condition. For women, as he said, the income disparities in the emergence of a health condition were relatively small, but much larger than those for men. And for some of the cardiovascular conditions, income really does produce large differences in the emergence of a condition among women. The final finding is that the patterning over the age range is different from what we expected. Um, We came in expecting, in part because of a lot of the theory um, that that, um, in the health disparities literature and theory that disparities would increase over age. That is, the older one, the older segments of the population one looked at, the larger the extent of disparities would be. And that's really only the case for one condition that we looked at, which was diabetes, and then um, primarily um, for women. For most of the other um, cardiovascular health indicators, um, the disparities that do exist, that is primarily among women, um, are, are moderate to, to large in some cases, but they, um, they emerge as soon as the condition emerges in the overall population, and they remain um, relatively, relatively constant in magnitude throughout the life course. Even though for the emergence of health conditions there weren't significant disparities by age, Teitler says that for the subjective indicators of health, or what we can think of as quality of life issues, disparities became far more pronounced as people got older. If you look, for example, at self-rated health, and you look at the percent of, um, of men or women that report their health as being um, fair or poor, as opposed to you know good or excellent, the um, the differences by income are are astronomical, at particularly at older ages. So, <clears throat> you know, ten um, 
to 20% of the advantaged um, groups report feeling in fear of poor health in their 60s, um, for example, 50s and 60s, um, compared to close to half the population um, at poverty or, or at or below 200% of the poverty level. So really striking, very, very large differences in the extent to which um, people feel ill. Or And, and we see similar, similar patterns for um, one's ability to work or, or function um, in, in daily life activities. So it's, um, it's, you know, it's sobering to look at these, um, the, the extent to which these disparities still exist. I asked Tyler why it might be that the small disparities in the emergence of conditions end up being such large disparities in quality of life and ability to work. He says their data doesn't really allow them to test this directly, but they have some ideas. One of the hypotheses is that um, when one does have a condition, a health condition, um, our ability to cope with that condition probably depends, in, at least in part, on the flexibility one has um, to adapt to that, convi- um, that that condition at one's job, at one's work, or um, in one's home. And the more flexible those positions are, those jobs are, the greater ability to adapt our life um, and our, our environment um, to accommodate those conditions, um, the less consequential those conditions um, would be for our well-being. And it, our, our speculation is that that individuals in, um, in lower-paying jobs um, have much less flexibility in or ability to adapt their work to their condition than individuals that are um, in higher-paying jobs. Tyler and his colleagues find that it's in the diagnosis and treatment stages that these socioeconomic disparities in health are the largest, and he says that there may be a silver lining here. I think it's possible that it's good news that disparities are much larger in the diagnosis and treatment um, stages, at the diagnosis and treatment stages of um, illness, because I think they're much more amenable to being changed um, through programs or interventions. And the um, changing disparities or reducing disparities in the emergence of conditions, particularly given the wide range of potential determinants of those conditions, that would would be much more difficult. So I think if our goal is to reduce disparities in health, I think it's a lot easier working downstream factors than upstream factors. Thanks to Julian Teitler for taking the time to share this work with us. You can read the paper in the December 2016 volume of the journal SSM Population Health. This podcast was supported as part of a grant from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Office of the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation, but its contents should not be construed as representing the opinions or policy of that office or any other agency of the federal government or the Institute for Research and Poverty. Thanks for listening. To catch new episodes of the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. You can also find all of our past episodes on the Institute for Research and Poverty website. 